it's time for our final Christmas special of the year, which means it's almost time for Santa to bring you presents. Assuming the Grinch doesn't steal the first, of course, on today's episode of That Song From That Movie. And suddenly the sweetest music filled the air. And it went la 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 la. Brilliant. Thank you for joining that song from that movie, the festive journey for the very best and worst of Christmas movie songs. I am your cuddly as a cactus host, Dietrich, and we're joined by the man who I wouldn't touch with a 39 and a half foot pole, Alex. Who has a 39 and a half inch pole? That's why I picked it for you, because <laughs> I knew you were going to respond that way. Who has a large pole? Who? Comedy. <laughs> It's a high start, this. It's a high start. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we're also joined by a bad banana with a greasy black peel, Ben. Now, see, I think, uh, personally, I'm of the types where the more black the banana is, the nicer it is. Oh, no. It's got to be, like, really sort of mush, almost. No, no. Yeah. It has to be, it has yeah. to be more or less green for me. No! Like, what? What? <laughs> the what? It's way. like eating a rock. No, for me, it has to have, like, one black spot on the skin, but any black on the actual banana itself on the inside, I'm not eating it. Oh, yeah. I mean, completely black, no, because it's gone. It's gone. But it needs to be, like, incredibly spotty. Incredibly spotty. Are you talking about the actual outside here, Ben? Well, no, like a few bits inside. Like, obviously, it's soft. No. So not, not like it's been bruised. Oh. Not like it's been bashed around in your school lunchbox. Somehow he's actually staying with this podcast. Yeah, for the final time, before he goes on his uh, long journey around the world, how will he maintain social distancing? Asks every bad comedian (laughs) this (laughs) Christmas. (laughs) I mean, surely he actually doesn't see anyone, that's the whole point. But he's going into people's homes. Yeah, he's wearing a mask. How to get around the travel regulations is what I'd be asking. (laughs) Does he have to quarantine after he leaves every country? Every home. <laughs> Every home. So what something I wanted to know was, what have you been watching this week? I'm trying to think if I've watched any Christmas related. I started watching... I watched Die Hard 2. Is that Christmas? I mean, Die Hard 1 is. I, I can't really remember. Die Hard 2 is very snowy. And it's. I swear it's like set at the airport when they're going home for the holidays. That wouldn't make sense. Yeah. Die Hard 3 is definitely not Christmassy. Or what Die Hard 4? Let's just go for the whole game. I've not... I, you know, I've never seen another Die Hard after 3. I actually did watch two Christmas films this weekend. Oh. Go on. Hit us with them. Santa wants to hear. So one of them was, was Last Christmas, which was a new Christmas film from last year. Oh, is that the... Oh, good. No, it's that yeah, the well, one we with... can't... Oh. We can't... We can't discuss the actual... Why? Why? <laughs> right, no. Everyone, if you haven't seen this film, you don't want to see it, but I'm going to spoil it for you, because I don't care. It's a stupid film. I, I remember going to the cinema to see it, sat next to my wife, and when the reveal happened... <laughs> I looked to the left, and we we just I've never looked at, I've never looked in so sort of like just shock and awe. This is what they're doing. <laughs> this is what they're going with. So we we knew that we knew the twist beforehand. So we were just constantly like, well, the twist is obvious. It's obvious. But what I wanted to know was if you saw it in cinema without knowing the twist, was the twist obvious, or was it kind of like what on earth? Yeah, it was kind of a what on earth sort of like because there was no sort of magic going on. I thought it was going to be just some really corny thing that, you know, something about her heart problems. But no, it's actually magic. Small magic. And it's stupid. That's it. Well, I mean, we, we then followed it up with a much better Christmas film, Nativity. Mm. The first one. The first one, yeah. Dude, where's my donkey or whatever it is? No, we're not talking about the sequels. I would go as far as to say that Nativity, the first one, is one of the best Christmas films of all time. I would go as far as to say that. Santa's walked out. 
Wait, tell us what's happening. I can hear, I can hear saying bells. No, no presents for your son <laughs> this year. You'll have to tell him it's because of your views on nativity. That's why he hasn't got his Tracy Island this year. <laughs> well, I think both of those two films have put me in the right frame of mind to watch the Christmas switch switched again. <laughs> Not the Christmas Chronicles 2. No, no, because the Chris- Christmas Chronicles 1 was like, there was too much money behind it and I didn't appreciate it. <laughs> I tried too hard with that. What I, really I like want, what I really wanted was Christmas Prince 4, but they're, clearly they're not doing that this year. Yeah, well, that, that's because the the production for Christmas Prince 4, it takes longer than 12 months. It's Chris, It's in space. It's in space. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, it's where else would they take the franchise? I mean, we've had a wedding... We've had the baby. Like, where is next in space is probably... I want night before... What was it? Night before Christmas? What was the night? The one night with the night in it? It was called Night Before Christmas. I mean, that was set, that well, was set in Norfolk, I think. Did you, watch, did you watch The Night Before Christmas? Yes. Well, at the end, they kind of did set up for a sequel, which which has not materialised. So I'm wondering where is the sequel to Night Before Christmas? Which would probably be called Nights Before Christmas. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> something terrible, similar. isn't it? <laughs> Nights After Christmas. The night after Christmas. <laughs> it's a Boxing Day film, that's why it's not out yet. Oh, yeah, that does make sense. If you go onto Netflix and you look through all these Christmas... You know, like the adverts pop up when you first load up. There seems to be some sort of Christmas musical written by Dolly Parton that's coming soon. And that just looks fantastic. I think we should all check that out. You mean it's probably already out now, Alex Kokoff? Is it out? Is it out? Oh, yeah, because it's <laughs> Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely not November. No, it's definitely not November the 29th, exactly 9.25am. So today's episode is You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch, from the animated favourite How the Grinch Stole Christmas. So to find out what was happening in the world when the, well, short movie came out, over to me. Thanks, me. So, a musical based on Truman Capote's Breakfast at Tiffany's open on Broadway for previews, and it became one of the most memorable flops in theatre history. After four performances, the producer, David Merrick, shut it down and bought an advertisement in the New York Times to explain, rather than subject the drama critics and theatre-going public who invested $1 million in ticket sales to an excruciatingly boring evening, I've decided just to close the show. It's entirely my fault. Well, that's ownership that I like. Was that after the film version or before? After, I think. What year are we talking? Sorry, I didn't say this what it was. Yeah, December 66. The film was like like 60 or 61 or something like that. Yeah. How bad must it have been that four previews, the producer went, nah, this isn't working. No, 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 no. I think it's weird that it got to that point, you know, like it got to previews and they didn't know it was terrible already. Well, if it was like a, it'll be all right on the night situation and then on the night, it, wasn't. it was not all right. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So the musical was finally performed in 2013 in London to poor reviews with ones saying that it was not stage worthy. <laughs> Well, you can't get more scathing than that. You'd think Breakfast at Tiffany's would make a good musical as well. Especially if they um, have uh, Mr. Miyoshi, or his name was, character. Love to see how that works. <laughs> mm, yeah. So after a few months of waiting, the Emmy Award winning musical drama The Monkeys aired for the first time in the UK. <laughs> detailing the real life behind the, scene, <laughs> behind the scenes access all areas story of four men trying to write and perform their own music to become the next big music stars. Drama? Isn't this one of the first sort of like, yeah, like pseudo real what sort of TV shows? It means, what do you mean pseudo? This is a real documentary? <laughs> <laughs> no, but like they were kind of like, they were very much manufactured, weren't they? The monkeys. No, this is a, an organic band that started on the mean streets of Harlem. <laughs> what, snapping their fingers? I have never seen it. I've heard of the sort of hype around this. But could they even play their own instruments? I, I feel like they learn. 
I feel like <laughs> they learned instruments halfway through their careers. It wasn't about playing their own instruments, man. It was about rebellion. <laughs> <laughs> you look at you look at those clean cut faces, and that's what I think. Uh, viva la resistance. The real question is: Did any of you want the monkey's car or want to live at the monkey's pad? I mean, I would certainly have wanted to live at the monkey's pad. I don't remember the car. Actually. I haven't seen a lot of the episodes. I've seen some. I don't remember the car. Was it a good car? It sort of looks like the '60s Batmobile, but red. <laughs> Sold exactly. Um, obviously, well, it wasn't real. If anyone doesn't actually know what the monkeys is, it was like a, a sitcom about a band trying to make it. So, in a similar vein to the Beatles, I guess there was supposed to be. Yeah, I think that that was it, wasn't it? They would, they would. That's what they were trying to hit because that's why they had um, America's response. Yeah, but they were doing the whole sort of like Brit invasion thing, weren't they? Like yeah, a lot of American yeah. bands were doing at that time. Although I think the lead singer of the Monkeys or one of the singers is English. I'll take your word for it. That's yeah. not in my notes. I can't remember his name. Uh, but anyway, the, the true legacy of the show is that it would go on to inspire a far more influential musical sitcom, Miami 7, featuring S Club 7. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it is similar in, in a lot of ways. <laughs> the concept is the same. Yeah, yeah, I know. Which band had the more had more UK number ones? Oh, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look this up. It's got to be S Club. It's got to be S Club. Full chat history, there we go. So, they had the same number of UK number ones. Did the same number? How many? They both had four. Wow. Wow. That is shocking. <laughs> I'm surprised Escob didn't have more. Alex, look at the competition that was around in the 90s. The monkeys didn't have that. No, they didn't have the Beatles. <laughs> Music didn't exist. <laughs> uh, so I've got some births and deaths. Well, actually, just one death. Two births. Let's start with the births. So, Kiefer Sutherland and Goldberg was born. Got your wrestling reference in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But the death was quite a big one. It was Walt Disney. Oh, really? Wow. But did he die, or was he cryogenically frozen? I'd love to know the origin of that rumour. <laughs> what do you mean? Because it's so, f- <laughs> <laughs> it's so famous, and until he shows up in The Christmas Switch 7, <laughs> I will still be unsure of what happened. It's just, it's just such a weird rumour. Was it like waiting for a cure for cancer or something like that? I feel like he was like, that's why the rumour he was cryogenically frozen. I felt like the, the concept of being cryogenically frozen like came up a lot in our, like when we were younger in TV and films. It, it doesn't come up as often anymore. No. No. Futurama, Mr. Freeze's wife. <laughs> exactly. Austin Powers. Austin Powers, yeah. yeah. It was just a common like way of uh, <laughs> of either storing or moving forward in time. We've been a Christmas episode. I thought it was only best I look at what was Christmas number one and what was the number one toy in 1966. Oh, I like it. The Beatles had been Christmas number one the previous three years, and their dominance was finally broken by a musical legend, Tom Jones. Oh, what? what? <laughs> Tom Jones, Christmas number one with the green, green grass of home. That, that classic Christmas anthem. And mm. number one Christmas toy of the year. I'll give you a clue for this one, see if you can guess it. It's a board game, kind of. Not really a board game. It comes in a board game box, let's say. Is it Mousetrap? No. Ball in a cup? It was highly criticised at the time for being sex in a box. Uh, Operation. Yeah, I was about to say the Operation. (laughs) Operation? Well, he's naked, isn't he? Sex in a box. We both went there. You're putting Uh, things inside, yeah. It came from a board game company, but people had to play it together. Uh, Oh, um, Twister. Twister. It's Twister. (laughs) (laughs) Twister. But maybe they did a board game. <laughs> From Hasbro. <laughs> yeah, so Twister was the number one Christmas toy of 1966. Yeah, that makes sense. It was originally called Pretzel, apparently. Yeah, that would have worked. Yeah. Salty. <laughs> that's right. Tagline. <laughs> salty. My God, that's salty. <laughs> so that was Christmas 1966. 
But what also came out in Christmas 1966 was How the Grinch Stole Christmas. So it was directed by Chuck Jones and Ben Washam and was based on the 1957 book of the same name by the legendary author Dr. Seuss. Do you guys know his real name? Uh, uh, it's like Teddy something. Is it Teddy Zeus? <laughs> Teddy Zeus. <laughs> that would have been it. It is Tedson. It's like Theodore something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you're right. Yeah, yeah. Theodore Seuss Geisel. Didn't he give himself the doctor tag because his dad always wanted him to go into medicine? <laughs> <laughs> it's not in my notes, but that sounds like a good story. We'll go with it. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't a doctor. Maybe he was a doctor of, of rhythm. So the Grinch is a surly antisocial green creature with a heart two sizes too small, who lives in a cave atop Mount Crumpet, which is located above the village of Whoville. He hates Christmas, and I mean with a fiery passion, like Ben and Toy Story 4. I mean, yeah, I'd say that's pretty close. So he decides enough is enough, and it's time to cancel Christmas. I wish I could cancel Toy Story 4. Have you seen How the Grinch Stole Christmas? And if so, what did you guys think of it? I have seen it this morning for the first oh, time. Oh, great. <laughs> oh, wow. For the first time. I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed the 60s-ness of it all. It was yes. very... When you look at it, it just looks like the 60s in animation, yeah. which I yeah. enjoyed a lot. I also really liked that it was Boris Karloff that was doing the voice of the Grinch and the narration. Because he was uh, the guy who was the original um, monster in, Frank- in Frankenstein films of like the 1940s and 50s. So oh. that, I thought that was a nice touch. Yep, legend. So yeah, I quite liked that. I don't, was he as good as Anthony Hopkins in the in the Jim Carrey version? I'm not sure, but it was very similar. <laughs> Both good. But I liked it. I thought it was quite nice. What about you, Ben? Yeah, I saw it a few times as a kid. Um, and I watched it again, God, I don't know, maybe about five years ago. Yeah, I really like it. I'm not the biggest fan of the Jim Carrey version, and I've not seen the new, whatever it is, the Minions Company, whatever that is called now. Illumination. But yeah, I really enjoy it. Again, the 60s-ness of it, it's kind of like a slow-down Looney Tunes or a Hanna-Barbera cartoon, a sort of Saturday morning cartoon element of it that I quite that I quite enjoy. And some of, the, some of the little animation nods, like the way he's like worming around the floor through the presence of the tree, I just find, I don't know, there's something about it I find very unusually enjoyable. And things that I think until, unless you've seen it, you realise how much the Jim Carrey version does take from it. Yeah. I had not actually seen it before I picked it, but I sort of felt like it was, and I suppose I can go on to this now, it felt like The Snowman is very a very UK Christmas short movie, and I felt The Grinch was a very American short movie. Yeah. yeah. So how yeah, does it compare yeah. to The Snowman for you? Uh, well, The Snowman goes from being happy to incredibly sad, and this one goes from being a depressing person to having Christmas joy. So I will watch the start of one and the end of another. I prefer the snowman. I also prefer the snowman. It's probably because we are British and it has that Britishness, but I think it has that sort of slightly morbidly twisted ending, which I really like <laughs> for a kid's show, where this was just like, this was quite wholesome. Did you guys grow up with having Dr. Zeus books? Because I, I, I remember having Green Eggs and Ham, and that's about it. I did not. No, I didn't either. D- did you like them, Ben? Did you like them, Ben? Uh, <laughs> I, just, I was like, what's, what, what's going on here? I just don't get what's, what's going on. No, you're supposed to say, no, I do not like them, Sam, I am. That's <laughs> oh, right, are you doing that? <laughs> that is what I, was doing. I never get points when you set them up. My humour level does not reach that point. But yeah, the idea of green eggs and ham also makes me gip as a child with a very fussy appetite. So you don't like them, Sam, I am. I would have given my food to you, Alex, for you to eat. <laughs> That's what would have happened as a child. I, I definitely did not grow up with these. But I did really, really, really enjoy the um, Cat in the Hat film. <laughs> I think it's commonly uh, regarded as terrible, but I really enjoyed it. <laughs> so the short movie, as Alex has uh, already sort of touched upon, is narrated by Boris Karloff, who is the only voice credited for the entire short, which I thought was a bit harsh on all the who-lings. 
Two villains. And we'll uh, come on to the song in a bit, but that wasn't Boris either. Yeah, I did think of that. I was going to ask that question. Quick fact, the special required 14 months of production, which is mental when you think how short it is. <laughs> 15,000 drawings, 250 background layouts, 1,200 character layout drawings, and 60 musicians to bring it all together. I know, like, animation in general takes a lot of time, and even CGI, there's so much sort of minutiae detail in having to put together a character and the movement of it all. But just when you look back, even like, you know, as far back as like the 30s or, and even further, you know, like Steamboat Willie and things like this, when you're just watching them redraw and redraw and redraw over and over and over again, that dedication to craft is amazing of just commitment. Because it must have been laborious at times. It must have really sort of, you know, what's your day to day? Yeah, I'm going to draw the Grinch 57 times doing the exact same face. Which will only equate to one second. Yeah, but even like, you know, Ardman animations, you know, when you watch, there's a, a brilliant video of, I know it's not Ardman, but it's Claymation, the Coraline film, uh, and you yeah. watch them moving it just ever so slightly, and it's kind of sped up, and that it must just take absolute hours. The, you need a different level of creativity and push towards the belief that whatever you're making is going to be good to actually do it. I just, you know, I've got so much credit for anyone in that business. Yeah, I mean, the last thing you want to do is to put it all together and then have to buy an advertisement in the New York Times to say, I'm <laughs> cancelling it. Well, yeah, unfortunately that didn't happen in this case. So three songs are in the movie, but let's be honest, there's a reason I only introduced the episode as being one song. So I'll briefly touch on the other two first, but at the end of the day, You're Me When Mr. Grinch is just the song of this. I think you guys must be in agreement there, surely? Yes, yes, yes. Yes. So, I've literally got one line for the other two songs. The sentence will probably be longer than the actual appearance of the song in the, in the short movie. Yeah. So you've got, welcome Christmas and then trim up the tree. Any thoughts on those? Uh, they exist. They do exist. Alex? I second that. Back to you, Dietrich. Welcome Christmas is a mixture of English phrases and what director Chuck Jones called Susian Latin because they wanted to make it sound more Christmassy. <laughs> That's that. Uh, Trim of the Tree, or Trim of the Tree of Christmas Stuff, was written by German songwriter Albert Haig. Oh. The only... Uh, oh, no, I'm glad I, you did I, that, Alex. Because <laughs> I put, who Alex will know better as who? I didn't make a noise. Like <laughs> it was me. <laughs> oh. Who was it? What was the name? Alex Haig. Albert Haig. Albert Haig. Do it, do it, do it for D. Do it for D, Alex. Do you know, Ben? No, I got a clue of being an ass. One of you want to do a drum roll with your mouth? How, how do you do that? <laughs> the psychiatrist from Space Jam. <laughs> Wait, the psychiatrist? From yeah, Space the one Jam. where they go to. <laughs> I, would have well, a... <laughs> I like how you said that I would like have a chance at guessing that. <laughs> I never go out with Madonna again. <laughs> yeah, that scene. Yeah, so that, that's all I've got to say about those two songs. You Let's move on to the actual song. So, You're a Moon or Mr. Grinch. No, 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 no. Song. Say it in that voice. Say it in that voice. Well, this is something I sort of referenced in the break, is every time I try to sing You're a Mean One Mr. Grinch, I go into All Is Found from Frozen 2. <laughs> so I'm like, You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch, where the North Wind meets the river. You, you, I guess you've gone from really, you went from really low to picking I, up I those. can't, yeah, I don't know why. One of you want to give it a go? Uh, Alex, I think you could do it quite well. What's the lyric? 
<laughs> you know me was in a very sort of deep Boris Karloff voice. But what's this? What's the second one? Or, or do we not need that? Um, you really are a heel, I think. Wrestling reference. Um, God, can I do? You're a mean one, Mister Goodinch. <laughs> it wasn't bad. I think you went too high at the end. Dracula singing it. <laughs> <laughs> You're a mean one, Mister Goodinch. Ah. Okay, so yeah, it's easily the most recognisable song from How the Grinch Stole Christmas. So what do you guys think of this song? <laughs> it's one that like, I like to... It's not necessarily memorable, but I like to listen to his comparisons to why... Oh, How the Grinch is disgusting. Such as the 39 and a half foot barge pole. <laughs> it's, yep. uh, there's an element of childish stupidity that I guess is quite common in a lot of Dr. Seuss books. <laughs> it's, uh, it's jovial without ever being actually too hate-filled. <laughs> yeah, and the amount of things that he says to put down the Grinch were absolutely um, in abundance from when I did the intro at the beginning. Like, I could have done that three or four times over. Yep. <laughs> uh, what about you, Alex? It's, I think it's quite it's quite a nice song. I, I don't I don't really have much of an opinion on it. It's quite humorous, like some of the things that they say. I, I, as, as we've said already, I enjoyed the part about the poll. <laughs> <laughs> Had you heard it before this morning? I recognise the beginning of it, as in the You're a Me One Mr. Grinch part. But other than that, yeah. no, not really. <laughs> cool. As referenced earlier in the first part, the song is performed by who? Well, that's a great question, Dietrich. So as mentioned before, Boris Karloff was the only voice credited, so it must be him, right? Yes. No. No. That's where you're wrong, Dietrich. <laughs> when, do we, are we even needed here, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> you could ask that about any episode. <laughs> So the song was actually performed by, and this is a, a name, much like all the other names from the 60s, which is fantastic, <laughs> Thurl Ravenscroft. Wow. <laughs> that is a strong name. That's, uh, in fact, one second, I'm going to write that down and put it in my uh, Dungeons & Dragons campaign. Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thurl. The only way that could be better is if his middle name was Woodrow. Thurl Woodrow Ravencroft. How, do you spell th- how are they spelling Thurl? As in T-H-U-R-L. Yeah, T H U R L. Hey, Thurl. Yeah, hey, Thurl. <laughs> My name is Thurl. That would have been a better name for the future, <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah. Mr. Ravenscroft is a prolific voice actor. He has loads of Disney movies in his filmography, but he's best known for voicing a character for over 50 years until he died. Do you want to give it a guess? I can, I can give you a clue. I think yes. I need more of a clue than just uh, Thurl Ravenscroft. <laughs> well, think about his voice. Like a really deep it voice, really and he deep. voiced a character that's well known around the world for fifty years with that voice. Fifty years. Yeah, give us a clue. Okay, so the clue is part of the reason he was in the role for so long is because his performance was great. <laughs> Tony the Tiger. Tony the Tiger. <laughs> it's gonna taste great. It's gonna taste great. <laughs> that's all I can think of when I think of Frosty adverts. Now he didn't die. <laughs> he didn't die. No. Which I think, you know, was positive. It would have been sad if it, if it had ended in tragedy. It would have been sad if he'd heard that version. <laughs> uh, Frosty's Kid, if you listen to the podcast, hit us up. We'll get you on the show at some, oh, some point in the future. <laughs> that song from that advert. We're already speaking about Tony the Tiger now, so it's mm. not much of a leap. So as I said before, Phil Ravenscroft was not credited for this performance, which is a criminal thing because it's fantastic. Great voice. Dr. Seuss himself claimed that Ravenscroft not being credited was a mistake, and he felt so bad about it that he allegedly wrote to every major newspaper in America to have them confirm that Karloff was not the singer. <laughs> That's a lot of newspapers. But do we think he actually did that? Uh, or do you no. think he just messaged the New York Times about putting an advertisement in? 
The New York Times comes up a lot in this podcast. Do you think uh, the guy at the New York Times... The New York's... New York's Times. The New York's <laughs> Times. Yeah, the New York's Times was complaining that how the Grinch stole Christmas didn't have enough scantily clad women. Probably. I mean, it was the 60s after all. I mean, this probably was around the same year as uh, Goldfinger. So Was it Goldfinger? Maybe it wasn't Goldfinger. No, I think it was Goldfinger that he enjoyed, wasn't it? He liked the gold aspect of the naked ladies. Yeah, he likes gold. <laughs> the song is split into three sections in the short movie, which I think is part of the reason why the song has become so memorable. Like, it has that repetition of once you've uh, finished with it, you come back to it another two times. That's how they get kids. Exactly, exactly. Now, if the snowman had repeated We're Walking in the Air three times, would it have been as memorable? Yes. <laughs> Every time the Grinch has been remade since, this song always makes it in. I asked you guys to listen to the other two versions. I'm hoping you both did that. Mm-hmm. So Jim Carrey performs the version in the live action movie from the year 2000, which I thought was all over the place. It's Jim Carrey's entire career in a microcap. <laughs> yeah, that is a great, that is a great review at the time of doing yourself in memoriam. And you just say like, what, what, how do you sum it up? And you could just put that in and just and when they go, why was this? Go, exactly. Yeah, just have the year keep ticking along the bottom. <laughs> it is chaotic, isn't it? Yeah, it's just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. It's a bit like um, a sort of a Robin Williams Im- imitation. I mean, many people may say that that's Jim Carrey's entire shtick, but I feel like uh, it was kind of like he was almost imitating Robin Williams in Aladdin. No, I agree. I agree. I think it's too much. The fact that it's the Grinch singing it in that version is weird. <laughs> like, why is he singing it in a third-person <laughs> yeah, yeah. song about himself? Yeah, that is weird. Whereas the one with Thurl Ravenscroft sounds like it's almost like a head teacher saying things about a pupil. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I think it has that in the Jim Carrey version as well, but I like the You're a Mean Mr. Grinch with the breaking of the fourth wall where he just looks at the camera and just does the smile. <laughs> It's like, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> I think to your point, D, it's, um the problem with it is, is that it's just so distracting because you, you don't you don't really take anything, any of the lyrics in, in the Jim Carrey version because it's just like the, the pitch of his voice just keeps changing constantly and he's doing stuff at the same time, like banging yep. and clashing and using a, I don't know, a wrench and whatnot. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just all just too distracting. There's just too much happening at once. Okay. Well, if it's too much happening at once, what do you make of the most memorable version of the song, the 2018 CGI remake version done by Tyler, the creator? I didn't mind this one, because at least I thought it was different. I quite like Tyler, the creator. When you said he'd done a version, I got a bit scared <laughs> <laughs> by his general sort of back catalogue. He likes the curse word or two. Do you know what, Ben? Go on. I completely agree. I was very worried to hear what it was like, but I actually also thought it was pretty good. He kept the... I was waiting for the rap part. It eventually came. I was like, here we go. And it was just very smooth. Very easy. Kept in the repetition, which, you know, obviously helps with the the youth of today. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I preferred that version. What about you, Alex? I mean, I don't really know of any of the career of Tyler, the creator. But, <laughs> Tyler, um, comma, the creator. Tyler, comma, the creator. But... I could obviously tell what type or like what uh, genre of music he came from from the beginning of the song. So I was kind of waiting for there to be more of a rap. And like you say, actually, I think the true success of the song is that when it comes in, it doesn't feel like it's been forced in. It feels like it's just yeah. extending onto the rest of the song. So I did think it worked really well. It sounded it sounded like a really professional version that they've done for a very professional looking film. I'm just interested. What kind of music do you think of of someone that is unfamiliar with Tyler the Creator? What what springs to your mind from his like his sort of diction and the way he was pronouncing the words? I say, I just knew he was like a rapper. I didn't. I, oh, you know, like he would certainly be that kind of genre. 
more of it. I don't know, like maybe something like Pitbull or something. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. 305. I mean, that would improve any song. But you know, like the tempo of it was quite like something like Pitbull, I thought. Is that it felt oh, like really? That. I thought Pitbull's Pitbull's usually like sped up massively. It's like dance, you know. Yeah, but it was a bit like that. You, you can't deny that it was quicker than the original. The original. Oh well, yeah. I suppose it would definitely be quicker wise. than the original. Usually, I guess he's quite he's quite sort of a muted rapper. Right. The raps are often quick, but I guess it's that sort of modern sort of just bassist strips back. Um, well, this was quite highly produced. I thought. Yeah, it, it was, was very much. So. It, it was almost like a what's is it LMFAO whatever they call them. Yeah, with the Afro. It was kind of like that as well. It was sort of on that train. Like I say, I was even going to th- read. I was even going to read a Tyler Creator lyrics, but then I was like, mm, no, actually, this is just that's too offensive. They're all too offensive. Yeah. We don't want to put an explicit note on this. Too, yeah, that would definitely be an explicit note. And now we never have to speak about the 2018 version again in the future. Yeah, I am never going to watch it. Final thing I want to talk about is the charts. So the original song by Thurl Ravenscroft, still a great name, made it all the way to number 49 in the charts as in the chart now known as the Billboard Hot 100. It's a real shame it wasn't 39. <laughs> one and a half. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. That doesn't seem very high, or even noteworthy. But what if I told you that was the year 2019? <laughs> really? Yeah. So the only time it's ever charted in America was last year. <laughs> Is that in relation to the film coming out? What What's that to do with? The CGI animated one was 2018, so the year before that. That's so for weird. some reason, last year, it jumped all the way up to number 49 in the in the Billboard Hot 100. It could have, Maybe it was on an advert or something. Yeah, maybe. Or, like, I think a lot of it is these Spotify playlists. I think once they get on, you know, these Christmas playlists, people just put them on, and I guess it all counts to, like, downloads and plays. Maybe, yeah. A lot of it is that nowadays. But that's weird. That's really weird. Now it's time for Ben's top five. Take it away, Ben. Yes, sir. Need more energy than that. I think you need more like he needs like you need like more of a game show presenter vibe. Okay, maybe get, maybe get ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ben's top five. It's also about like you doing through the keyhole. <laughs> <laughs> uh, through the so keyhole, you go through the. I've keyhole. got my uh, my throw over me because I'm a war- look like warmed up death. Right, top five. Shouldn't clap when I'm on a microphone. Doctor Zeus, everyone's fan, or as we've clearly established, no. No one really cares that much in this country. And so I've done a top five to emphasize that. So I basically went on a website that I can't remember the name of, but it was 2019 and it actually had figures, which always says that's refutable to me. And I want to know from you two gentlemen, what are the top five best-selling Dr. Zeus books of all time? Okay, well, Cat and Hat will be one. Oh, you want them in order? Yes. What about if we just name five? Is that good? If you... If you got all five of this, I'd be incredibly shocked. So I'll say Cat in the Hat was number two. Congratulations. Yeah, so I will be I will expect you to get one more. <laughs> well presumably the Grinch is one of them, no? No. Fox in socks? No. Green eggs and ham? Green eggs and ham is number one. So you got one and two. Horton here's who? D, as someone who doesn't really know much, how many more could you actually name? We just named one. Yeah, Horton yeah. here's a who? Nope. The Lorax? Oh yeah, that's one. Nope. It is one yes, obviously, but no. It's not until five. As much as I thought you guys are never going to get this, I found this really interesting that the ones they've made films of are the top five best-selling books, and I maybe think that's probably because the other ones, maybe you can't make them into books as easy. Uh, What about The the Cat in the Hat Returns? (laughs) No, it's not. No sequels. Have you heard of them before? I'd heard of one of them. Is it one of them's like the one with the blue fish? That's that's number three. One fish, two fish, red fish, blue. That's the only other one I'd heard of. So, How the Grinch Stole Christmas 
obviously, I'd say, m- the most famous Dr. Zeus book now, alongside Cat in the Hat. That's number nine. That's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Grinch's Halloween. The Grinch's Halloween, no. Okay. Shall I give you them, guys? Yeah, I don't think we're ever going to get them. I mean, I've even no, got a collection, no. and I think I've listed all the ones I can remember. I'll do the top ten and just tell me if you've heard of any of these. So ten is my book about me, which is one of those stick your face here, and I think most YouTubers do this now for Christmas. No, no, nope, never heard of it. Number nine, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Yes, you have heard of I've that. Heard of it. Yes. Number eight, Fox in Socks. Number seven, The Cat in the Hat comes back. Which you oh, that was the one I was thinking oh, of. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's uh, six is Doctor Zeus's ABC. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Five is Oh the Places You'll Go. No. Have you heard of that? No. Mm-hmm. no. Number, and then number four is Hop on Pop, which sounds very, very uh, wrong. Is that the inspiration for the movie Hop? Well, I don't know. I hope not. That film's shocking. The Hop not. <laughs> God. So the Lorax wasn't even in the top ten? In the top ten, yeah. No, was Holland, here's a who. I think the Lorax as well, an interesting fact, was one of the first books in America to be requested to be banned by the Logging Association in America. Oh, uh, right, okay. That's <laughs> up. That's the thing. It's quite, yeah. But yeah, they put in a request to ban the book, <laughs> which is funny. Imagine that nowadays. Logging company. Yeah, not banned for any sort of smut. Or, although he did do, I think he did an adult book, which was just loads of naked women, uh, which did not do well. So he went back to kids' stories. <laughs> that was for the New York Times. It was like something, it was like the 12 like... Lady Godivers or something. Uh, and it was just lots of naked women. Just crack on with this list, Ben. <laughs> I've done it. Well, three, one fish, two fish, red fish, blue. Number two, the cat in the hat. And number one, green eggs and ham. Wow. Okay, so now it's time for the ultimate question. Kind of maybe two ultimate questions. So we've got movie or song and also best and worst because there is three songs in this. Alex, pick that apart. <laughs> um, I am going to pick from the original one. I'm going to pick the song over the film because I think after watching it this morning, the main thing that will stick with me is the song. If we're also doing the best version of that song, um, probably is the most recent one. I think the Jim Carrey one probably is the worst one. Always a big Tyler of the Creator fan, that's Alex. Yeah, I know. I've, I've, always, I've always championed his work. <laughs> <laughs> um, I quite liked the original one. It had like a more like a jingly sort of 60s vibe, which I liked. But I think, yeah, they seem to throw everything at the new version and it kind of just kind of all clicked. So yeah, maybe the newest version. Cool. How about you, Ben? Yeah, the song's better. Mostly because I I still hear the song around a lot. I'm never gonna. There's just too many adaptations. The cutting's fun. It's enjoyable in parts, but yeah, I do like the song and I find it very U-rated humour. Uh, and I still do get a slight titter from that. I still think it's the best version. Listening to the Tile the Creator version last night for the first time, I enjoyed it. Never gonna listen to it again, but I will listen to the original version again. I mean, yeah, I definitely will put the song over the movie. In terms of what is the best out of the three versions of the song, probably also going to go for the original. If I had to rank them, it's original, then Tyler the Creator, and then a, a Gap, and then the Jim Carrey version. Yep, I'll go with that. But what about the Pentatonics version? Or the Glee version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's so many versions. So thank you for joining us today. Let us know what you think of the movie song, or which version of the song you think is the best. You can do that on Twitter. What is our Twitter handle, Alex? It's TSFTMPod. It is. You can also help us on Reddit. Ben, what subreddit should they pick this week? Ooh, I think you should share it on the Monsters Cinematic Universe subreddit because there's a loose connection with Frankenstein, Boris Karlov, oh, yeah. and then get them get them really confused. Okay, cool. 
You can also help us by signing up for our Patreon. Starts from a pound a month or one dollar fifty, depending where you are in the world. If you join up, there's a chance you could be on the podcast in the future, giving your opinion of Jim Carrey's work. Papa needs a new pair of slacks. <laughs> and the other way you can help us is by buying our merchandise. There's more stuff on there now. So there's uh, logo stuff. Or you can buy a Christmas jumper. The offer for Ben to call you on Christmas Day if you send us a picture of you wearing the Christmas jumper is still there and it will be definitely fulfilled. Right, Ben? Ben. I, I was trying to play it for some reason. I was like trying to play up, play me out music and I started playing Blind Date in my head. <laughs> <laughs> is that Blind Date? That's you've been framed, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that is, that's you've been framed. Blind Date yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you can buy our merchandise tpublic.com forward slash TSFTM. Right, so all stuff now is to do some goodbyes. So it's goodbye from myself, goodbye, and goodbye from Alex. Socks, box, knocks, knocks in box, fox in socks, knocks on fox in socks in box, socks on knocks and knocks in box, fox in socks on box on knocks, chicks with bricks come, chicks with blocks come, chicks with bricks and blocks and clocks come, look sir, look sir, Mr. Knox sir, let's do tricks with bricks and blocks sir, let's do tricks with chicks and clocks sir. Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's a new Pitbull song. There is actually uh, st- there is actually a rapped version of Fox in Socks on YouTube, definitely oh, check it out, it's outstanding. Beat that Ben. Oh, gosh. Okay. Four o'clock, wallowing self-pity. 4.30, stare into the abyss. Five o'clock, solve world hunger, tell no one. 5.30, jazzercise. 6.30, dinner with me. I can't cancel that again. <laughs> seven o'clock, wrestle with my self-loathing. And that's just his Christmas day. <laughs> and it's also a goodbye from Santa. Bye. And make sure he has Santa in his hands. Yes. Put it out with the Christmas stuff. I didn't want to talk about what I have watched because Mandalorian spoilers, oh, that's why. I haven't watched the most recent episode. By the time this comes out, the season will have already ended. <laughs> wow, it was really good. I really enjoyed the season finale. I can't believe Luke... Oh, sorry, guys. <laughs> can't believe the night nights before Christmas and Mandalorian crossover. I just did not expect that. I know, yeah, with, with a sort of nod to Christmas Prince for coming next year. <laughs> What a universe. I'm really worried now that I've said Luke and Luke's actually going to appear now and I've just ruined something by accident. It was a complete guess. I don't know. Like I said, this is 29th of November. <laughs> oh, the nights before Ren before Christmas? Nights, <laughs> nights of Ren before Christmas. <laughs> I mean, you could just go for Jedi nights before Christmas, can you? The Princess Leia switch. <laughs> the Princess Leia switch. This is high quality gold podcasting.